Uh, I'm Adam Leppard. I'm the discipleship pastor here, and today we get to talk about failure, so glad you're all here <laughs> with me. Uh, I'd like to think that the reason that I was asked to talk about failure is because I am an expert in avoiding failure, that I have so lived my life as a, a master teacher on how to live prolifically and without fail, uh, but I think that quite the opposite is true. Um, and I think that because I fail pretty epically and embarrassingly kind of often. So um, this started when I was a kid, too. When I was in uh, third grade, I realized that I needed glasses. And so I went to the eye doctor and then did the better, 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 better. I don't know. Uh, but I realized after that that I needed glasses. And so um, my mom, being the intelligent woman that she has said to the eye doctor, he, he breaks stuff kind of a lot. So do you have any like indestructible eyeglasses? And the doctor's like, I have just the pair for you. Like, don't even worry about it. I got this. He grabbed him off the thing and he showed us, he grabbed it and he like, he twisted the eyeglasses and was like, you can't possibly, these are not breakable. He made them into a pretzel, which I thought was weird. He didn't really do that, but he did like twisted a bunch. He's like, these are like, these are it. And we were like, okay, anti-scratch coating, you got that? Yes, got it. And so we went away, they did the lens thing, the magic that the doctors do, and then I went back to get fitted and put the glasses on, got them all fitted. And on the way home, and everybody who's gotten glasses in their life will understand what I'm talking about, it was unbelievable. Because like before I had glasses, I saw trees and I knew that they were green because there was a big green blob right there. I didn't realize that you could see like leaves from any sort of distance. It was like HD life. And I was like, what in the world? This is awesome. And so the whole car ride home, I just like stared out the back window, fascinated with life. And I was like, to, to my sister, I was like, hey, can you read that street sign? Because I can. What? <laughs> it says North Detroit Street. <laughs> but anyways, so I get the glasses, and on that day, we decide to play outside, and I'm feeling confident because I can see, because I have these glasses on, and like, I, I basically have a superpower now. You know, I was good at playing before when I was basically blind, and now I can see things. And so we were going to play this game where um, one person, we were going to ride our bikes, which meant that across the street, one person was going to swing on a tree swing, and the other people were going to drive their bike back and forth and not get hit by the swing, which I was great at. You know, I was great at before we got glasses, and I thought, I'm going to be even better now, you know? And so I did, we did the bike thing, and we were doing that for a while, and I think my sister, Gina, was the one on the swing, and uh, she was swinging, and I was like, I got this. This is going to be the most epic thing anyone's ever seen like this is going to go down in history and so she went up and she was at the very top of her swing when I decided to go and Isaac Newton would have had words with me like no 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 no, she's going to come back you know uh and but I was like you know what I got this I can see perfectly and what I saw perfectly was my sister hitting me directly off my bike into the tree face first like I mean I'm not kidding the, not an exaggeration actually face first I hit the tree and my glasses came off and that's how I broke my glasses my indestructible 
glasses, which depending on which way you're keeping score, like that's either a, a big time failure or big success. Like you said indestructible. I put that to the test. It failed. Okay. But I had to walk back across the street like, mom, I broke my brand new glasses. And I think she was more worried about like my scuffed up face and I'm holding my broken glasses and bleeding everywhere. But, uh, I, have failed pretty consistently in my life in things big and small, and we all have. And failures can make us have that moment where, like, all you have is embarrassment. Like, you're walking back across the street with your broken, indestructible glasses. Like, I did it. Like, there's nothing else. I'm sorry. I did this. I failed. And today we're going to talk about failure, and we're in the middle of this series called The Comeback. And the whole idea is at the top of your notes, and it's just this, that because of Jesus, it's not too late, and you're never too far. No matter your failure, very, very big or incredibly small, it's not too late, you're never too far because of what Jesus has done. Failure has a way of mocking you and making you feel like you're less than, and Jesus says, no, 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 it's not too late, you're never too far. We're going to spend all of our time today in Luke chapter 15. And in Luke chapter 15, Jesus tells three stories to emphasize one point. And if you're ever making a point and you tell it over and over and over again, it's because it's really important. And you know that it's because the person that you're telling it to is going to be quick to forget that thing. Just this past week, I had to tell Cohen over and over and over again that he needed to, to do something. We were going, I had an, an evening meeting on Tuesday night and uh, Emily was here for a refit. And I told Cohen over and over, we started at the house. I said, hey bud, you gotta go and you gotta sit next to mama while she does her workout dance thing. There's gonna be lots of people in there. There's gonna be music and dancing. You need to just sit still right there. And he was like, got it, I got that. I can do that, dad. Mm-hmm. Yep, got that. And so I told him again, and then again, and on the way to the church, I was like, but we're going to the church. You're not going to get to play with your friends today. You just have to go into the sanctuary. There's going to be lots of people dancing and stuff. He's like, got that. Mm-hmm. I totally got it, Dad. I'm on, I'm on your side on this. I got it. And Cohen, when he, like, shakes his head yes, he so emphatically wants you to know that it's yes. That, like, it's like one of those things that you ratchet and it constantly gets tighter. His head just keeps going down. Yep. <laughs> got it totally with you, dad. And like, he's just so sure that he's got this. And he's so confident that he wants to carry his big backpack of stuff, which is actually his size. And so he has it on his back and he's walking real tall, you know, just like I am the man right now. And he walks in through door three and goes up to the sanctuary. I'm like, bud, there's gonna be lots of people in there and you just got to go in there anyway. You got this? Got this, dad. I totally got this. And so I open the door and he walks through the door with his backpack and just goes, (laughs) <laughs> nope. I like, I heard what you said, but no, I didn't get it. I'm gone. There's too many people in there. I was like, what are you doing? He's like, he just didn't say anything. He just like snuggled in. But I had told him over and over again. And it's because I knew he's going to have a hard time understanding what I'm saying. And Jesus does the same with us in Luke chapter 15. He tells us three stories because he wants to emphasize one point. The lost get priority in the kingdom that I'm building. Will you pray with me before we, get, we begin? Father God, be with us as we look at your word, as we study your scripture, and just help it to change the course of our lives. God, remind us again of what you've done for us and what you want to do for everyone. We love you. It's in your son's name we pray. Amen. 
The notes look a little bit different today. Normally there are quotes and fill in the blanks and stuff like that. Um, we didn't want to do that today because we just wanted to put the whole passage, uh, Luke 15, 11 uh, through 32 on the page so that, and I'm inviting you to uh, circle and highlight and underline this passage and write notes in where something sticks out or circle a phrase that really, really stands out. Because I think that too often we treat scripture passively, like this is just a thing that I read and it's there, but it's really something that you should engage with. And so I invite you and I will not be offended if you take, if you write stuff down on your bulletins or if in your Bible app on your phone, you want to just go through and highlight and bookmark and add notes. I would invite you to do that as we look through um, scripture today. If you've never done that, try it here. Like it's, it's going to be okay. We can get through this, but that's what, that's what you're invited to do um, with your notes. But Jesus tells three stories, starting in Luke 15, 1. The first is the story of a shepherd who has a hundred sheep. And this shepherd who has a hundred sheep loses one sheep. And he doesn't say, okay, well, I got 99. 99 out of 100 is pretty good. Like, that's a good, that's a passing grade. We got that. No, he says then to the 99, stay here. And he goes and he wants to find that lost sheep. He leaves the 99 that are safe because they're safe. And he goes to find the one that's lost because the one that's lost might be in danger and might get whatever. And so he goes out to get the sheep. And when he finds the sheep, he doesn't grab it by the neck and pull it along and say, shame on you, sheep. You did a bad thing. I can't believe you lost yourself. Come back here to the fold. No, he picks up the sheep and he puts it on his shoulders and he carries the sheep home. And when he gets the sheep back to with the other sheep, they have a party and they celebrate because that which was lost is now found. And that deserves celebrating. Jesus is starting to build this idea that when things are lost and they get found, you should celebrate what's happened. It doesn't matter why the sheep was lost. It's found now. And then he goes on because he wants to reiterate this point. And he tells a story of a woman who has 10 coins. She loses one. She has nine coins left, but she lost one. And she turns her house inside out, upside down. She tries to get the coin. She wants to find this coin. And when she finds the coin, she calls the neighborhood together and they have a party. Can you imagine? Can you imagine if your neighbor called you and said, hey, come on over. We're having a party. I found my penny. It's awesome. Like, we're going to celebrate my penny. I found it, my quarter, whatever. Like, it is it because I had lost one of them, but I found it. Like, this is the coolest thing. It's going to be a great party. We're going to celebrate because my coin is found. But again, Jesus is building this idea that when something is lost, that's not good. When it is outside of where it should be, when it's separate, that's not good. Come in and be found. And that when something is found, it deserves to be celebrated. But then Jesus gets to the story that we're going to spend most of our time with today. And in verse 11, uh, he starts the story of the prodigal son. If you've been around church for any amount of time, I'm sure you've heard this story. But stick with me through this because I think there's something for each of us today. He starts the story of a son and he's built this value system and he's going to put the exclamation point on what he's saying about the kingdom that he's establishing. He starts in verse 11 um, and it says this and it says, and he said, he, Jesus said, there was a man who had two sons. The younger of them said to his father, father, give me the share of the property that is coming to me. And he divided his property between them. Not many days later, the younger son gathered all that he had and took a journey into a far country, and there he squandered his property in reckless living. 
And when he had spent everything, a severe famine arose in that country, and he began to be in need. So he went and hired himself out to one of the citizens of that country who sent him into his fields to feed the pigs. This son does something that is despicable. And Jesus is starting to underscore this idea that it does not matter why you're lost. It doesn't matter what leads you to the place of being lost and far off and hopeless. It does not matter because I'm going to tell you a story about a son who does the worst possible thing. A sheep didn't lose itself. A sheep just happened to be lost. And the shepherd went out and got it. A coin doesn't lose itself. It doesn't make a decision like, you know what? I don't like the wallet today. It's a little too stuffy in here. I'm going to go hide under the couch. A coin just gets lost and it needed found and put back in. But a son who says to his father, basically, I wish you were dead. I wish you were dead and what is owed to me when you die, I want that right now so I can live the life that I want to live right now. You should give that to me because I no longer want to stay here as your son and do the work for you as your son. I want to go off and I want to party. I want to have fun right now. And so he went off to a far country and he spent everything. He spent every dollar partying and making decisions that were against what he should have been doing. He made bad decision after bad decision after bad decision, so much so that when a famine hit the land, this son of a father who had a great inheritance had to become a servant of someone in a foreign country and was starving. Jesus is trying to underscore this idea. It does not matter what led you to the point of being lost. And I think that, the, that how bad this is is lost on us a little bit because we understand that that would be bad. I would not at all like it if Cohen came to me and said, Dad, I wish you were dead. Give me all your money. Like that would be bad, but not as bad as a Jewish audience would hear it because we understand our family story in sort of a single generation. I am born to my parents, and my story is I, from there I grow up, have kids of my own, and I love my kids and my grandkids, and that's where my story sort of ends. In a Jewish culture, they viewed family legacy and story above all things. That's why in Scripture you see time and time again, uh, so-and-so, son of so-and-so, son of so-and-so, 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 for like chapters. You're like, why is that? Because it mattered. It mattered what part you played in continuing on your family's legacy. And so this audience that was hearing the son saying, I want my money now and I want to party now, like that's not just a sin against the father. That's a sin against his great, 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 great grandkids because he's taking away from their future wealth and the story that that family is playing in history. It was like murder. This is one of the most selfish and stupid things the son could have done. Because it wasn't just about him. It would have been about his whole family. And so Jesus is saying, it doesn't matter what ends you up in failure. Because sometimes it's really, really, really big things that just mock you. And that son who once had access to an inheritance is now feeding pigs as a hired hand and he can't make ends meet. He had to feel like a failure in that moment. When I was a junior in high school, I was in AP history class, and toward the end of the year, I had a, an assignment due. And this was after the AP test, so class didn't really count anymore in my mind, but it doesn't matter. Uh, we had a five to seven page biography of a U.S. president that we had to do. And the day before it was due, I hadn't done it. Can anybody relate to that? Okay, I'm not alone in this, right? So I, I, I still had to write this whole paper, but my friends 
who were also in the class, wanted to hang out that night. They were probably a little bit farther along in their, uh, in their paper writing journey than I was, but I wanted to go out there and hang out with them. And so I asked my mom if I could go spend the night out there with those guys. We were going to work on our project together, which is partly true, which is like the classic high school move, right? You tell the part of the truth that's the best part of the truth that you want to hear, and then the rest of it is, I just wanted to play video games and eat pizza and stuff and hang out with my friends, right? Like, I don't... The, the paper was a means to an end. And so my mom said yes, because she trusted me, and she let me go out there. And I went out there, and we started working on the paper because we knew, like, if we don't do this first, we're not going to do this. But we started working on it, and it started taking way too long. Like, it was cutting into some valuable video game time, which is going to be for my good eventually. But I was like, this is taking forever. I don't want to do this anymore. And so my friends and I had this idea. Let's just find an already done biography, copy it, paste it on our paper, and change the sentences around a little bit and done. You know, like we we got that. And so that's what we did. And I got to the very last paragraph. And I decided, because I was the last one still working on it, because I probably spent more time, uh, you know, playing video games than doing that thing, that I was the last one working on it. And I got to the very last paragraph, and I decided, you know what, I'm just going to leave it exactly as is and turn it in. There's no way my professors or my teacher is going to find out about this. Like, he doesn't have access to the same Google that I do, you know, whatever. Um, And so I hit save, print, and turned it in. A couple of notes. Uh, my my history professor was my soccer coach, and he I looked up to him a lot. And he had just a couple weeks before written an incredible recommendation for me for National Honor Society. He had said things like, "He is trustworthy. He's dependable. He's got maturity beyond his years. He is you know he'll do what he says he does, and that and so on." Not only that, but I was uh, grades were really important to me going through school. I was good at school. I could get good grades and I liked getting good grades and I liked being the smartest one in the class. I liked getting the best grade on the test. That's who I was in school. Uh, but that was important. Not in on top of that, I was an outspoken Christian who had told my friends that I want to go into full-time vocational ministry. So I took very seriously the idea that people were looking at me to see whether or not Jesus actually makes a difference in your life. Even in high school, I took that very, very seriously. And I chose to cheat on purpose with full clarity. I chose to take someone else's work and put my name on it and turn it in so that in a moment I could have a little bit more fun. And I'll never forget when I got that paper back because he, he passed it back and I sat in the back of the class and he set it down and I turned it over thinking like, I'm going to nail this one. You know, like I, it's not even my work. <laughs> it's great. But I turned it over and it was zero out of a hundred. And then under it, a note in red pen that is seared into my mind forever. National honor underlined society question mark. And there I sat with the same amount of shame that comes to all of us when we have a moment of failure. That shame that says to us, you're not good enough. This is your story. 
This is it. You are a failure. You can't even do your assignment. You can't carry on your family's legacy. You can't, you can't, you can't. This is you. It just cuts off the whole story, and that's where you end, and you feel like a failure. But the story continues in verse 16. And he was longing to be fed with the pods that the pigs ate, and no one gave him anything. But when he came to himself, he said, How many of my father's hired servants have more than enough bread, but I perish here with hunger? I will arise and go to my father, and I will say to him, Father, I have sinned against heaven and before you. I'm no longer worthy to be called your son. Treat me as one of your hired servants. And he arose and he came to his father, and we pause again. Can you imagine what you would have been feeling like in that moment? Of course you can. Because we've all been there to some degree or another. Whether really, really big or really, really small, we've all been at a place where all we have left is an apology, an apology and a pleading, accept me back, but as a lower position. This son said, I will apologize and just beg my father to make me a servant. Because if I could just be a servant of my father, that'd be better than I am right now. Because right now, the pig's food looks pretty delicious. And so all I have left is this, I'm so sorry. Take me back in, but I know I'm not going to be what I was before. And so take me back in and call me less than. You can make me a servant, Dad. I just want to be home again. And I want to eat like your servants eat. And I sat there in the back of the class and I looked at my paper. And I just had a sinking feeling. And now I, I know. I know that that's not as big of a deal. I get that. But that's the point, right? Is that there's no scale for failure. You either feel like one or you don't. It doesn't matter the size of it. It can strike us just the same and it can mock us just the same and make us start believing that we're something other than what we actually are. And so I'm sitting back there and I'm thinking, what will I say? Like, what will I say to my teacher? What will I say to my mom who, for good reason, apparently didn't think that I should go do this, but let me do it anyway. And I told her, I'm going to work on my paper I got to go tell her that I got a zero on that. Nothing out of anything on that. I got to go tell my friends why my grade's in the toilet. And so I sent, sat in the back scheming the same way that the son did scheming. What if I just said this? If I have this speech to my teacher, if I have this speech to my father, maybe, just maybe, I'll be reestablished with some fraction of the position. So I walked up to the, my, my teacher in the back, and uh, he was sitting at his computer. Um, and I started with, I'm sorry. And then I said, is there any way? And he cut me off. And he just said, no. No, we don't do extra credit. You can't make it up. You can't turn it in late for half credit. No. And then he said something to, to, to this day I still remember. He said, honestly, I didn't even want to look it up because I didn't want to believe that you would do this. And that's where that story just rings in my memory. Because that feels like conclusion. That feels like, yep, the consequences of my decision I deserve. I got and accepted my first and only zero on an assignment through high school. And I just had to, I had to own that. Sometimes bad decisions have consequences here and now. 
Sometimes the decisions that we make or the decisions that are forced on us because somebody else made them for us have consequences here and now. Maybe you cheated someone in business or you went into business with someone who cheated you. And so that, that just screams at you failure. Or maybe you spent more than you had for longer than you should. And now your bank account screams at you failure. Or maybe you're just a husband who for the hundred thousandth time forgot to take out the trash. And you just feel like failure, like you're not good enough, like you'll never, ever measure up. But he continues. Thank God, literally thank God that the story of the prodigal son doesn't end With verse 19, Jesus doesn't just say, and let that be a lesson to you. You better be responsible and treat your parents right. No, he continues, which is a point in and of itself. When you feel like your story's over and failure, he, Jesus continues and he continues writing a story that is full of redemption and hope. And he wants to tell you as part of his story that you were brought back into the fold. He continues. And so the story continues in verse 20 and it says this, And he arose and came to his father. But while he, the son, was still a long way off, his father saw him and felt compassion and ran and embraced him and kissed him. And the son said to him, Father, I've sinned against heaven and before you. I'm no longer worthy to be called your son. But the father said to his servants, bring quickly the best robe and put it on him and put a ring on his hand and shoes on his feet and bring the fattened calf and kill it and let us eat and celebrate. For this, my son was dead And he is alive again. He was lost and he is found. And they began to celebrate. When the son was still a long way off, the father was watching for him. The father was watching for him and he went running toward him so that he could embrace him. And in the middle of the son's well-prepared apology speech, the father just interrupts him and grabs him in an embrace and says, quick, quick, let's get the robe. Let's get the ring. Let's get the fattened calf. We need to celebrate because my son is home now. I don't care what got you to where you were. I'm just glad that you got up and you came home. One thing matters. My son was dead and he He's alive again. We need to celebrate. And that's the God who's building a house here. And he says that we should be watching out the door with the same tiptoe excitement for people who are lost and want to be found again. And we need to celebrate when they come home because this is a place for lost people to be found and for dead people to come to life. And we should never, ever lose sight of that because we were all where the sun was. I was exactly where the son was, but Jesus. But Jesus hung on a cross on the top of a hill so that he could have a better vantage when people who were lost started coming home. And he said, I'll do anything. I'll take the shame. I'll take the embarrassment. I'll take the death. I'll do anything so that my children can be alive again and found while we were still a long way off Our father was watching, hoping, praying that we would come home. And in that moment, dignity didn't matter. The father just went running, which again would have been a shocking and scandalous scene. Because any father of esteem enough to have an inheritance and an estate would be dressed in a long garb in that time. That's the picture that they would have had in his mind. And men of that age and that esteem didn't run. They approached calmly and with dignity. But Jesus is painting this picture 
that our Father in heaven, who is of the highest esteem, doesn't care what's dignified. When his lost children come home, he will come running to you and he will embrace you in his arms. And he doesn't even care what puts you in the position to be lost. He's just glad that you're home again and he's going to grab you in his arms. I tell you that if Cohen was lost for even 20 minutes, I would throw a party with the whole city when I found him again. And God thinks the same about us. It doesn't matter how long you're lost or what got you lost. He's just glad you're home. And that's why we're here. Because we're a collection of lost people who are now found. Dead people who are now alive and who have hope. Though we were homeless and hopeless and starving, hoping to eat just the pig's leftovers, we are found again. We, as the church, though, sometimes lose sight of the fact that that's all we are. We're just a home for the lost and the broken and the hurting. And so Jesus has to continue the story to make a very, very clear point to all of us who are in the house today. And so he goes on in verse 25 and he says, Now his older brother, his older son was in the field. And he came and he drew near to the house. He heard music and dancing. He called one of his servants and asked what these things meant. And he said to him, your brother has come and your father has killed the fattened calf because he's received him back safe and sound. But he, the older son, was angry and refused to go in. His father came out and pleaded with him. But he, the older son, answered his father, look, these many years I've served you. I never disobeyed your command and you never gave me a young goat that I might celebrate with my friends. But this son of yours, who's devoured your property with prostitutes, you killed the fattened calf for him. And the father said to him, son, you were always with me. And all that's mine is yours. It's fitting to celebrate and be glad for this older brother was dead and is alive. He was lost and is found. It's fitting to celebrate and be glad for your brother who was dead is alive and he was lost and now is found. Too often, I, and I don't know if you're with me in this, but too often I can get tricked into the notion that says, I've been in the church for 10 years. I come every Sunday. I do everything that the Bible tells me to. I try to do everything that the Bible tells me to. And this guy who just last night was doing whatever with whoever is here now. And he wants to give his life to Jesus and he can just join in the party. Ugh. Yes, that's exactly the point. Grace doesn't discriminate based on past. It just gives the opportunity for a new future. It does not matter as if living in the full life that Jesus has for you is some sort of Christian prison. It's not. We are the ones here celebrating who are found and safe and have full life here, who Jesus is guiding and showing. But he wants to remind us, you better always celebrate. You better always celebrate when someone who's lost is found. No one says, near the end of a great party, when somebody shows up late, oh, how lucky are they? that they only get to enjoy the last 15 minutes of this great party. Like, man, so jealous. I was here for six hours of a great party. They get 15 minutes. They're so lucky. No. 
No, you would say, oh, I'm, gl- I'm so glad you're here now. I wish you'd been here earlier, but we need to celebrate right now because you're here. I know you came late, but you're here now, and we should celebrate. And so we will celebrate. We will be a place that constantly celebrates judgment-free when lost people come home. When dead people come to life, we will always, always celebrate. We will always be looking out the door, and we will always go down the road to meet people where they were. Will you pray with me? Father God, we are stunned by your grace. And help us to be a place that just celebrates week in and week out that people are finding new life in you. Help us to be a place that just celebrates over and over again and throws a party over and over again when people commit to living their life with you who arise out of their failure and start heading home. God, we are so thankful for you. That's in your son's name we pray. Amen. I don't know what your next step is, but we all have an opportunity to celebrate this morning because not just one, not two, not three, but four people are in the lobby right now and we get to celebrate with them as they commit to following Jesus forever and we get to make certain the fact that this place, this place will be a place that always celebrates, that always throws a party, that always comes alive when people put their faith in Jesus. And when they say, I want to come home, we'll just be happy. And we get to celebrate four times that people are placing their life in Jesus. And so with that, we go out to the lobby. And I am here with my daughter, Lucy, today. Um, Lucy has decided that she has wanted to um, give her life to the Lord, and um, I'm so excited for her. She has been talking about this for a couple months, and um, every day she's been asking, when is it my time to give, give my life to the Lord? And um, she just, she's, she's just bloomed into such a wonderful little lady, and we're just so excited for her to um, grow into a little little lady and a woman of Christ, and we're just very excited for her and um, to see, see the things that she's going to do as she gets older. So, um, Lucy, we're just very happy for you, and I know you said you were very proud of yourself and we are, your family is very proud of you, and um, we're just, we, just, we just love you very much. All right, Lucy, I'm going to have you repeat after me, okay? okay. Are you ready? Mm-hmm. Okay. I believe, I believe that, Jesus that Jesus is the Christ, is the, Christ the, Son the Son of the living God. I accept him. I accept him as my Lord. As my Lord and Savior. And Savior. Lucy, because of your confession and your desire to make Jesus the Lord of your life, you are being baptized in the name of the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit for the forgiveness of your sins, 
the gift of the Holy Spirit, and the promise of eternal life. Yeah, you better zoom out so you can see Marcus. <laughs> so this is Marcus. His story's almost a little bit opposite of Lucy. Not quite, but a little bit. It was a year and a half ago. I was just asking him. It was during your premarital counseling that we actually began having some conversations. And that has brought us to this day where you want to make your promise to Jesus in the waters of baptism. So I'm going to ask for you to uh, repeat the confession that Peter made about who Jesus was. I believe... I believe that Jesus is the Christ. That Jesus is the Christ. The Son of the living God. The Son of the living God. It's because of your confession that I now baptize you in the name of the Father and the Son and the Holy Spirit for the forgiveness of your sins and that you might receive the gift of the Holy Spirit. This is Aaron and Caitlin, and they have come this morning as well to make Jesus Lord of their life. And we're just really excited about that. So I'm going to ask you both to repeat the confession that Peter made about who Jesus is. I believe. I believe. I believe. That Jesus is the Christ. That Jesus is the Christ. That Jesus is the Christ. The Son of the living God. The Son of the living God. The Son of the living God. All right. I'm gonna, we're going to do one at a time, all right? <laughs> Caitlin, it's because of your confession of faith that I now baptize you in the name of the Father and the Son and the Holy Spirit for the forgiveness of your sins and the receiving of his spirit. Yeah. <laughs> All right, come on over here. Aaron, it's because of your confession of faith that I now baptize you as well in the name of the Father and the Son and the Holy Spirit. For the forgiveness of your sins and receiving that same spirit. Ready? (laughs) And so may we always be a place where that is a frequent thing. A frequent thing that lost people are found. That hope is found. And that the homeless feel like they have a home again. May we never lose sight of that's why we're here. To be establishing and building the kingdom of God on earth and the home of God on earth. So we have a father in heaven who looks out over the horizon for us. And so we also should look out over the horizon for others who don't yet have hope and who don't yet have truth. And so there's just a couple next steps today. 
either you are part of what Jesus has established on earth and you just make another commitment to celebrate time and time again and to be a part of celebrating when lost people are found and you go out to go find lost people, you make a commitment to that, to just celebrating and being about his mission, or you decide for the first time that that baptistry is for you and that Jesus is for you. And then it doesn't matter where you are right now because it's not too late and you're never too far because of Jesus and because of what he's done. The baptistry is ready. It could be right now. It could be this afternoon. It could be two days from now. Make the decision to come home again.